you know, it's so, it's so important and it's such a fundamental that so many people don't do. They just go to the gym and, you know, let's just say in the best case scenario, they actually have like a written program that they're following. The problem though is most of the time they'll follow it, but there's no feedback loop of, of writing down what they actually ended up doing. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the SupersetYourLife.com podcast. This is your weekly dose of inspiration, education, and entertainment to fuel your life inside and beyond the gym. We have David Delanave, the deadlift man himself, on this episode. You're going to love it. It was an amazing conversation. Before we jump in, we're going to get into two client reviews of the week. First one is from Carly Kovacic. She has been with us, training with us for about a month and a half now working on a reverse diet. She's gonna start contest prep here in about a month. Her first show will be the NPC Northwest Natural, which is a drug tested show that is going to be in Shelton, Washington this November 2022. And I will be doing that show with her. So that's gonna be a lot of fun. She has been getting bigger in a good way. Scale is going up, putting on some shoulder mass. And you know what, I'm not gonna say anything more about it. I'm just gonna let you hear it from her. This is a video chat between her, myself, and my wife were coaching her together, and I did not ask her to say this. Taylor did not ask her to say any of this. This was just one of the many conversations that we have every single day because our our coaching style is a very hands-on approach. We spend a lot of time with each client. We are talking basically all day, every day, throughout every day, so it's like we're working out together every single day, even though very few of our clients are local. So she is in Seattle. Uh, we make it work. She comes down to train here sometimes. We come up to train her sometimes. Okay, so here you go. Listen up. This is Carly Kovic. Shoulders are coming in really nicely. Um, I'm getting a lot of comments at Body Shop on how the size of my shoulders uh, look, I, I guess they look bigger to people over the last couple of weeks and just more three-dimensional. So like the striations that I'm getting here and like even just in the chest too, I think those um, supinated uh, chest flies in particular and just the low incline chest press too are really hitting the chest good for me so I guess that may even answer the question that you asked at the end uh, do I need a new workout plan and honestly I'm loving what you have and I still feel like I have room for improvement on things so if it's okay to keep it the same um, I don't feel stagnant at all so and I'm actually really enjoying the workouts too so I think what we have going is great my weight's back up to like 135 136 so i think that's promising too so in addition to just like feeling bigger and just harder and more muscular it's nice to see the scale also be up because even when i went down to 131 it uh i felt more muscular i felt bigger but it was just like why is my weight down so just thank you guys. You guys are fantastic. I have absolutely no regrets. And if I had to do it all over again, I'd still hire you guys. So keep up the good work. Um, it really makes a, a big difference. And you guys both inspire me. So I've always been pretty motivated. But um, there are times where I, I kind of want to take it easy. But, you know, with the program you have me on, it's sort of like, no, we're going to leave no stone unturned here as much as possible. So 
Um, so thank you again. And our second client review is from Mr. Mike Williams. He is a new client that is on a 30-week program that he just started with us. He's a week into it and he is absolutely crushing on it. So he's on a carnivore diet right now. He's gonna get from 30% body fat to 10% body fat. And while he's at it, he's gonna build six pounds of muscle. Like I said, he's off to a great start. He's already been shredded before, but not with the muscle mass that you can have with a bodybuilding style training. So that's the goal with him. Okay, so this is a text message. Again, I didn't ask him to say this. This is just something that, this is just a conversation that we were having a couple days ago. But he goes, man, you guys ship fast. And he texted me a picture of the welcome bundle that we sent him with a handful of supplements and stuff from Metabolic Nutrition just to kind of get him going. And I said, our clients are important to us, sir. Heart on fire emoji. How's the protein? And he goes, oh man, I know I've been out of the game for a while, but this is hands down the best protein I've ever had. So smooth. And we sent him the peanut butter whey protein isolate by Metabolic Nutrition. This stuff is like crack cocaine. It is so good. It is, I would say, borderline addictive. So <laughs> you can find all of our supplements at supersetyourlife.com. The peanut butter protein powder, as of the time of this recording, is out of stock. It is literally impossible for us to keep this stuff on the shelves. It's extremely popular, and so when we, when we do have it in stock, it goes fast. You can check back on the website. We are very, very on top of our inventory, and so we do have more that is getting in either today or tomorrow. We placed an order earlier this week, so if something on our website says out of stock, please feel free to shoot me an email. We hate losing sales to Amazon. <laughs> so if and everything on our website is at least a dollar cheaper than what you will find on Amazon. So if you're looking for a good whey protein isolate, that's the place to get it, supersetyourlife.com. Okay, and then yeah, if anybody has any coaching inquiries at all, feel free to text me at 206-743-1346. We are completely booked this month, but depending on the month, Sometimes we have room for two or three new clients. Sometimes we don't have room for any, um, but we are always open to 15 minute free phone consultations. And so if you are looking for a coach, if you want a solid meal plan, if you want, if you have a specific goal that you want some accountability for, um, if you want to build muscle, if you want to lose fat, we are your coaches and we are happy to talk to you at a time that works for you. Okay, with that, we're going to get into the interview now with Mr. David Delanave. Hey, everybody. we got David Delanave. He is a lifter, coach, and owner of the Movement Minneapolis in the Twin Cities. He implements biofeedback techniques, teaching his clients ranging from athletes to general population to truly understand what their bodies are telling them. David's book, Off the Floor, A Manual for Deadlift Domination, got it right here in front of me. Never go very far without it, <laughs> very long without it. Uh, it's been a close second to Arnold's bodybuilding encyclopedia in my most frequently revisited training books and training resources. You know, the deadlift, in my opinion, and I think Mr. Delanave would agree, is the king of exercise. <laughs> Maybe a close second to the squat, but I think it's better than the squat because it's practical. It's something that you do every day. You can lift more weight than with any other exercises in most cases. So you just feel like a beast and it just makes it flat out fun. He covers in detail the purpose and the execution of just about every deadlift variation that's ever been invented. And what I've found most useful is those couple chapters in the back that he, he teaches not only how to heal and work through back injuries, but how to keep progressing when you do have back injuries. And that's accomplished more for me and for my training than like all the chiropractor visits in the world. So 
Um, our clients love deadlifts. It's one of my favorite exercises to teach. So I was like, what would they like more than to have the deadlift guy himself on our show? Worst could happen is he says no. So I reached out and Mr. Dalanet. <laughs> So I reached out and Mr. Delanave generously agreed to give us some of his valuable time on our show. So ladies and gentlemen, give it up for Mr. David Delanave. Thanks, man. Very kind intro. I really appreciate that. Yeah, yeah. No, speaking of kind and, and, and humble, we were just talking about this before we started recording. But yeah, no, like I'm trying to put together your bio and you just, you're just not a self-promoter, man. You know, you're a super humble dude and something that I have a lot of respect for. Um, I'm just I know this is the first thing that everybody is asking. And everybody is wondering is what is your all time heaviest deadlift, sir? Uh, so I kind of have two best, uh, all time best deadlifts. I had a 605, 605 Jefferson, uh, which was triple, just under triple body weight at the time. And then I also have a, a 605, um, like tr traditional deadlift, um, which was definitely uh, triple body weight at the time. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking at your. Jefferson deadlift on page 34 of your book. This is probably the, I've, I've read these pages probably, I'm not even kidding 20 times because when I had herniated discs, it was something that I used to keep progressing through it. So I went, I, I went as heavy as um, 455, which compared to what you did is not that impressive at all, considering your um, lower body weight than me too. But uh, yeah, no, there, hey. there it is. So five pounds. So <laughs> it's it's four. I don't care. You know, it's like Henry Rollins said, like 455 pounds is still 455 pounds. Like it's it's still a big deadlift. And yeah, I mean the the Jefferson, I sort of have become synonymous with it because I sort of promoted this exercise so much. Um, because it is, it's fantastic. Um, it's it's a really, really great variation. And um within the, the, the sort of macro variation of the Jefferson there, you can tweak it and change it a little bit in so many different ways that it just makes it really, really versatile. I mean, it was probably, um, almost like my number one go-to variation with people, um, especially, especially people who, um, had a back injury or said, you know, I can't deadlift because I, it, it hurts my back or something. It's like, okay, that's fine. You know, how about we just do something that looks like this? And, and they'd say, okay, yeah, that's fine. And it, basically was a Jefferson deadlift. You know, I'm, I wouldn't put a straight bar with 135 on the floor um, in front of them and say, okay, you're going to deadlift that now. But if you looked at what they were actually mechanically doing with, let's say two kettlebells or something like that, it was basically a Jefferson. That's a great idea. Yeah. I usually start my clients off with just 135 because I'm like any lower than that is really weird. And like, you can't really use the curl bars either. That just makes it harder. And so I like the kettlebell idea. I think we might start implementing some of that. Yeah, no, I mean, I totally agree with you. Like if you're going to use a straight bar, you almost have to start at, um, you know, 135, unless you have like 25 pound bumper plates, which at the gym, um, you know, we do and we did. Um, but yeah, kettlebells are great. Like you take a kettlebell, even if it's a, a really small one. I mean, I had plenty of people that, you know, it was not uh, advisable to start with more than like, let's say an eight kilo bell in one hand and a 12 kilo bell in another. I mean, that's, um, you oh. know, like 50 pounds basically. And that's, that was totally appropriate for them, but those would be really low to the ground. So I'd stick a yoga block or two underneath both of them and boom, you have something that can go anywhere in any position on the floor and super versatile. And, um, 99 times out of a hundred, those people would eventually progress to, you know, deadlifting a couple hundred pounds off the floor. They just needed to start where they were at that time. Right. Yeah. I, I like that idea. I've never thought of that, of having one side 
heavier than the other. But I could see how yeah. that would not only fix muscle imbalances, but even just recruit more stabilizing muscles too, if you're just going back and forth and side to side. Totally, two for one. Uh, I can't remember what page it is, what page it's on, but you have a picture of, um, of a famous deadlifter that has one foot a little further in front of, in front of the other. And that's something that I've been implementing too, not just there, but on squats. And I don't know, I just feel like it's more power than, I think the biggest thing I got out of your book was, I mean, besides everything was having, uh, not being locked into such painfully strict form, but learning your body and learning what is the most powerful and natural uh, pulling position to pull from. And so having even like a little bit of a staggered stance, I don't know, it just feels like I get a little more leverage, a little more torque getting it off the ground. Absolutely. Without a doubt. If you, if we could look inside of our body and see what the um, links and levers and lines of stress were, they would not be symmetrical. Like that's, that's just a fact. Like if you, if you could strip all the, the muscle and tissue away and you just had bones left and then you put them side by side, they're not, they're not perfectly identical from one bone to another. They're shaped a little bit differently. Their links are a little bit different. And so then you put the tissue on top of that. And that means that the tissue is not inherently the same. If the bone isn't the same, the tissue can't be right. So yeah. now you have two bones that are slightly different links, which means you have muscles that are now slightly different lengths. Okay. So if you put yourself into that perfectly symmetrical position, uh, you're forcing one of those in by, by definition. So, yeah, I mean, it, asymmetry is definitely uh, one of the biggest things I, I want people to take away. Absolutely. And that's on page 31, by the way, Dmitry Klokov. Of course, the guy's rushing. Oh yeah. Klokov for sure. Yeah, for sure. Super asymmetrical deadlift. Mm -hmm. Yeah. He's got one yeah. foot. He's got literally his toes next to his heels of his other foot in this picture. Yep. Yep. It's almost like a, you could call it like a B stance deadlift. Mm -hmm. yep. Yep. Um, did you get that uh, log book in the mail, by the way? You know what? I have not been able, I have not had time to go to the front desk yet. It's, I know that it's delivered because I got an email about it okay. and I haven't gotten a chance. I've been running from one thing to another, to another since it arrived yesterday. <laughs> no, no worries. The only reason I ask is, is because, um, so, so I designed that book and one of the inspirations in designing it is in your first couple chapters and the way that you teach progressive overload, that was kind of the inspiration behind it. And so literally all it is, is you're tracking, uh, it's designed for bodybuilders because that's what I do and that's what I teach. Um, yeah. but, but progressive overload has been something that has stuck with me these last five years, ever since I, ever since I studied this. And so um, you need to have a PR every single workout in your words and basically paraphrasing what you said. And, uh, um, every workout should be either you can, you can have, you can pull more weight, you can pull the same weight for more reps, or you can have less rest between sets, but you're never going to know unless you look back at your last workout and see exactly what you did. So that was the purpose behind it. That was the only reason I brought that up. <laughs> I love that, man. I, I was really excited when you tagged me on Instagram and that, that you had designed that log book. And, and I love that you're teaching your clients um, the concept of blogging. Um, you know, it's so it's so important and it's such a fundamental that so many people don't do. They just go to the gym and, you know, let's just say in the best case scenario, they actually have like a written program that they're following. The problem though is most of the time they'll follow it, but there's no feedback loop of, of writing down what they actually ended up doing. 
Um, so, you know, I love that you're teaching that. It's such an important thing. I, I would argue that maybe it's more important than anything else. It's just, you know, training. And I love that you designed your own. Um, you know, we did the same thing at the movement. Um, probably took us too long. I don't remember how many years ago we did that, but we finally sat down and we created, um, well, originally what we did is uh, when people checked in at the gym, the computer would actually print out a new workout sheet for them that, that had like, like blanks, basically it was like a training log. And then on the back of it, it had um, what they had entered into the computer for their workout. Yeah. Um, and that worked really well. And we did that for a lot of years, but I definitely, as I kind of observed that over time, I realized that there was value in somebody just having like a notebook with all of that sort of same information. Um, and man, like it, this is not unique to, to fitness training, right? Like I'm, I'm getting my pilot's license right now. I'm, I'm like days away from finishing it. And one of the biggest things in flight training is keeping a logbook. Like, you know, you don't get to just show up for your check ride and be like, yeah, I'm ready to go. I've, I've done a bunch of flying over the past three months. No, the, the examiner wants to see exactly how many hours have you done solo because you have a minimum of 10. It, they want to know exactly how many night flight hours you've done because you have a minimum of three. And you don't get to just tell them like, yeah, yeah, no, I did it. Don't worry about it. I'm, I'm pretty sure I remember that I did. It. Like you have a logbook and there's a reason for that, you know? Um, yeah, that's, that's a big one for sure. Totally. Thanks. Yeah. And that's why we call our podcast super set your life too, because to your, to your point, you know, this is basically exactly what you just said is that fitness, whether in, in your case is strength and uh, more um, functionality um, CrossFit. And, and for me, it's more aesthetics um, in, in both cases, tracking and logging and seeing your pro your progress is just such a tangible way to grow your, your discipline, your capacity, and it makes you better at, being a pilot in your case and being, being a dad in my case and being a business owner, you know? Yeah. It's motivating too. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's, it's something to where you can, you can, you can do something that you have a hundred percent control of and you can expect a result and then you get your result and you can see it on paper. I mean, that's, that's something that really builds confidence. Yeah, absolutely. Could we talk about biofeedback training? Yeah, of course. Okay. Um, would you mind giving just like a, a minute long crash course, if that's possible, on what the purpose of biofeedback training is and how you use it? Sure, absolutely. So the idea of biofeedback training is basically predicated on the idea that everything you do either makes you better or worse. Okay. And that may seem obvious in the long term, like, oh, okay, yeah, if I exercise, I get better. And if I don't exercise, I get worse. Fine. But even on the shortest possible timeline, things make you better or worse. Like let's say one exercise versus another could be better or worse. So let's make an example of that. And a lot of times when I'm trying to explain a concept, what I like to do is kind of jump to, jump to the extreme to explain it. And so the example I'd give if let's say you do an exercise, like let's say you do a squat and you hurt your back in that, in that rep in doing it we can agree that that made you worse, right? Like you did an exercise, now you're in pain, now you're hurt, it made you worse. Okay, the, the flip side of that isn't as obvious, but you could like take an extreme of that and say, okay, you do a squat and you PR your best ever one rep max. You could say, yeah, that very obviously made me better. I did something I've never been able to achieve before. 
So if we have those two extremes of like the exercise that clearly made you worse and the exercise that clearly made you better, there's all this sort of gray area in between where how do I know if it's making me better or worse? And what's cool about the body is that it is one of the most insanely responsive systems that probably exists. Like we, we aren't, we aren't capable of making machines with the complexity of like the human body and the human nervous system. And it's always responding and reacting. Right. Right. And so your nervous system will react to the stimulus that it's applied is applied to it. And so that's what brings us to exercise. If you do an exercise, you can immediately see the response in the body of how it, how it's reacting to it, whether it's better or worse. And you can measure that. You can measure it in a bunch of different ways. Um, the one that's become really popular these days with like fitness trackers and, and devices like the, uh, what is that? The whoop band, the armband, and there's a ring, the aura ring, it's heart rate variability, right? It's basically measuring the, the differences between the beats of your heart. And within those differences, you can sort of uh, understand how sympathetic or parasympathetic the nervous system is. And then you can use that to trend and figure out if the body is a little too stressed out or possibly even too relaxed and for like the best optimal readiness. Um, you can do the exact same thing, but with range of motion. And that's what I do. And that's what I teach. And that's kind of what I go over in, in off the floor. And uh, basically every fitness information thing I put out there is saying, okay, if every exercise makes you better or worse, we only want to do the ones that make us better. So how can we determine that? We can use range of motion to determine that. So we do things that instantaneously make our range of motion better because we know that in doing so over the long term, they're also making us better in other ways. And I'll tell you, it's, I've not found in, you know, well over a decade of, of kind of being involved in fitness, I haven't found anything better or more effective than it whether it's training for performance or training for like recovering from an injury or something like that. Like if you have an injury and you can train around it by finding all of the things that test well via biofeedback, you're able to heal that injury faster than um, let's say an approach where you're not testing anything. You're just maybe doing um, like, let's say a physical therapist gives you a, a, a program that, you know, based on the physiology and the, the biomechanics should heal that injury. That's great. That's a really good starting point. But all else being equal, you take that physical therapist program and you take somebody who's biofeedback testing it and somebody who's not testing it, they're just doing it blindly. The person who's biofeedback testing it is going to um, heal faster and recover more quickly. And the reason for that is because you're always with biofeedback, you're always applying just the right amount of stimulus to get the response and you're not overdoing it or doing the wrong things like the person who's blindly following it. Um, and, and we, you know, we're always like constantly shifting, constantly having different demands placed on us and you know, what's good one day might not be good the next. And conversely, uh, you could maybe have three sets of 10 programmed in the program, but maybe if you got really great recovery, the previous one or two days, you could do four sets of 20 and, and actually create more of a stimulus that then, you know, you obviously need to recover from. So that's not a super short version, but I think that's a pretty comprehensive explanation of, of the benefits of biofeedback and briefly how to approach it. And you, we can uh, take it wherever you want from there. 
Yeah. Yeah. No, that, that's fantastic. You know, um, anybody listening to this, first of all, you got to get the book, but that's on page 13 where he goes into biofeedback testing. I think what you, what you heard was, um, yeah, even more in depth than, than, than that. And so can we, can we walk through a, like a practical example of like, okay, you're, it, it could, it could be a, it could be a real story, like something that you, you know, that you actually did, but like you're okay. So you're going into the gym and you're wondering, um, it's leg day what leg exercise should I do? How would you use biofeedback testing to identify which leg exercise will be the most uh, beneficial to start with? Sure. So uh, I guess you could have two options. You could say, okay, it's just leg day. I just want to train my legs. It doesn't matter what I'm going to do. Or you could have, it's leg day, but you have a program um, that you have in mind. Let's say you have a program. I think most people should. I think you should have some sort of skeleton of, of what you're going to do because it can be uh, very overwhelming in some ways more overwhelming if you don't have a ton of experience and in other ways it's even more overwhelming if you have a ton of experience because now you have this entire universe of possibilities if you only know of two leg exercises you only have two options so let's say you have a program you go in and uh let's say you're going to start out with some squats okay um just some i don't know barbell back squats so what you would do is you'd say okay i want to back squat I'm going to first check my range of motion. You can use any range of motion. Obviously, uh, the big one that I teach, and there's a variety of reasons for that, that I we can go into if you want to, but we don't need to. Um, I think the toe touch is the easiest and most effective. So just very simply kind of bend forward. That's what I always do. Yeah, I, I did that one this morning. Yeah. But uh, sorry to interrupt. I want to, I want, I want to hear um, how you- No, not, not, at all, not at all. Yeah, I, I, I think it's the best. and. Like I said, we can go into it on a tangent later if you want to. Yeah, so no, this, this, this is great. I'd love to talk about this. It's easy to teach. It's simple. I think this this would be this is good practical stuff. Yep. And the easiest thing about the or the best thing about the toe touch is it's very easy to see where your your actual mark is. So I I bend forward and let's say I'm kind of at mid shin. That's my starting point. <laughs> uh, so then I would do a couple of squats, and it could just be like a simulating a barbell squat. So I'd kind of maybe throw the bar on my back, maybe not just get in that position, do a couple back squats, shake out a little bit of tension and then check my range of motion again. And what you're going to find is that your range of motion is typically either better, the same or worse, same or worse. I wouldn't back squat. I would maybe goblet squat. And so let's just say it's worse. Okay. All right. Now I'm not going to back squat today. So Hmm, what could I do? Let's goblet squat. So I would get into a goblet squat position that completely changes the leverages. Um, you know, it's more anterior. It changes your upper body positioning significantly. It's a very different thing, but it's still fundamentally a squat. You know, you're still going to be stressing the legs for the most part. You're going to take a little bit of load off the, the lower back maybe, but you're still stress, stressing the, the trunk. Uh, so I do a couple goblet squats. And then I would go back and again, check my range of motion. And let's say, cool, my range of motion is, is better now. It's actually better than it was when at that initial baseline. All right, so goblet squats are good. So now I, I flip through my training log and I look and I see what I did the, the previous time that I did goblet squats. Maybe that was, I don't know, three or four weeks ago. I know how much weight that was. I know how many sets and reps I did. I go, okay, now I, I kind of have a baseline for that. Like, let's say... Um, you know, goblet squats, obviously kettlebells work great. Let's say I did it with a 32 kilo kettlebell. Um, maybe I decide that day what seems to be good. And there's no wrong answer to this. It's kind of just whatever you want. 
what seems to me to be good would be to do more than I did last time, but with the same weight, okay? So I could bump up to the 36, but let's just say I'm gonna keep the 32. Um, I'm just gonna do more. Um, and what I would do is I would just go ahead and do my first set. Actually, what I would do is I'd do one rep with the 32 kilo and I'd check my range of motion again and see if it's better. And let's say, okay, yep, it's better. I've confirmed it, good to go. So what I would probably do is just go ahead and do my first set. And I would stop at the very first sign of my speed decreasing on that rep, because that's generally the, the beginning of the downtrend of an exercise getting worse. And the, the getting worse usually ends in like pain damage or, or, or total failure of the exercise. I never personally trained to failure. Um, I think that there can be reasons to, to train to failure, but I generally don't. Um, so I would do, uh, let's say, let's say I did a set of 13. Okay. And that's where my speed decreased, set the bell down, check my range of motion, confirm that it was better. And you could say right there, if I had done sets of 10 with the 32 kilo before I've basically already set a PR for the day, right? Like I've already done three reps more than my previous, you know, assuming that I'm always looking for the best I can possibly do before that speed decrease, boom, I've already succeeded and I've already PR'd. Anything I do beyond that is just sort of extra, you know, bonus. And I would more than likely continue and do more. So I do, um, I don't know, two, three, four sets, something like that. So now I can go through my logbook and I can see, okay, I've got multiple PRs. I did uh, 13, uh, 12, 12 and 10. Okay. So that's three sets where I've done better than I ever did before by two or three reps. Um, I've done more total volume than I did in that, that previous last time. Um, and I also generally encourage people to keep track of time. And so you can kind of divide the volume over time and get density. Get better at that. <laughs> yep. You can get better at that too. Um, so let's say I, I improved on my density as well. So I've got like three or four PRs there and, uh, that's it. I don't need to do any more goblet squats. I've already achieved something new and I'd move on to the next exercise. Maybe I do, um, a couple, uh, single leg, you know, like some lunges or something like that. to just like really hammer the, the quads and hamstrings. Um, and you just proceed forward with your entire workout like that. And if you run into something where, Let's say um, you, uh, I don't know, I'm just spitballing here. You, you go to do some calf exercises and the first one that you do doesn't test well. And the second one you do doesn't test well. And the third one you do doesn't test well. That might be an indication that today is not the day for calves. You know, why is that? I don't know. Maybe you um, dressed up in heels and you walked around in heels and screwed your calves up. I don't know. But today's not the day. So typically if I do two or three exercises and they don't test well in sort of a category, I might just, you know, move on from that. Um, and yeah, that's, that's generally how you would approach a biofeedback training session. Wow. That, that was incredible. Thank, thanks so much. But yeah. And, and calves for um, any, any of our power lifters or CrossFit athletes that are, that are listening in case you don't know where the calf muscle is. It's uh... <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry. Be, being a bodybuilder, I, I just have to give shit to the CrossFit crowd. <laughs> <laughs> That's super fair. <laughs> so this morning I did 
biofeedback personally, even though it was shoulder day and chest day, because, you know, it doesn't have to be just for deadlifts. This can be for anything. Would it be 100%. okay? If I, yeah. Would it be okay if I uh, kind of walked through what I did this morning and maybe you can uh, cr- critique it? Like, let me know if I, if I thought that was good or anything that maybe I could have done differently. Absolutely. Okay. So here we go. So it's uh, chest and chest and shoulder day. And those are the main muscle groups that I need to hit today. Right. I'm on the last, I'm, I'm on I'm, I'm about 24 weeks out, almost 24 weeks out from my next show. So tail end of a bulk whole body hurts this is the heaviest biggest i've ever been in my life while which which by the way i i don't know what your previous is but you are yoked so kudos (laughs) to you good 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 work on that (laughs) i appreciate that thanks thanks a lot it's um it's been three years of not competing and eating a whole bunch of food lifting hard three-hour workouts and pretty much never missing a day so if i'm not good for you man Thanks. If not bigger by now, then I did something wrong, but uh, <laughs> appreciate, appreciate it though. Thanks a lot. So, um, it, all right. So it's chest and shoulder day and I had a huge meal last night. My wife and I, it was date night, um, slept like a baby too. Um, drank some alcohol that, that always helps, but I had a lot of food, went to all you can eat Korean barbecue. Right. So I'm like, nice. Okay. Yeah. I got all this glycogen just like ready to go. It's time to go heavy. Um, did my 20 minute cardio warm up and then started doing some flies and experienced some shoulder pain. I'm like, darn, I really wanted to start with heavy bench. Right. So I'm like, well, I'm just about to record a podcast with David Delanabe. Why don't I do some biofeedback testing? So um, am I correct in understanding that you can, that it works if you do the exercise with or without weight? hundred percent. Yep. Okay. That's what I thought. So I, um, so I touched my toes and I, I couldn't quite get to my toes. And so I touched like, uh, I don't know, like three or four inches um, away from my toes on my, on my leg. So that was the first test. And then I did um, one rep of bench press and of bench press, just literally on the bench without any weight, without the bar going through the motion. And that hurt my shoulder without any weight. And so then I went to touch my toes again and, but the range of motion was about the same. Okay. So in my other bread and butter lift, I know this is a bad exercise for you and that every chiropractor in the world hates this one, but behind the neck presses, it's a good I love them. I don't think they're bad. Good. Thanks. I'm glad, glad that we agree on that. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I went to go do behind the neck presses and did just one rep without any weight. And I'm not even kidding. I could touch my toes. I got four inches better range of motion. Went back and did bench again, bench in quotations, because this is all without any weight. And... I, and my range of motion is shortened too. And part of my workouts too is, is, is prayer. Um, and so something I always do is I, is, I, is I say, God reveal to me right now, whether I should do bench or whether I should do behind the neck presses. And so li- literally that was kind of my way of going. All right. I think that that was his, his way of answering my prayer. I don't know, but the biofeedback told me that I needed to do behind the neck presses. So I went ahead and did that. And then after six or seven sets of those, I feel like it just got my rotator cuff or whatever was hurting in there. Um, moving, did some flies in between sets and then just got a PR and bench right after that. Cause it's the tail end of my bulk right now. So I really, really wanted it, but I think that was a good move. And I think the biofeedback training really helped a lot. I'm not sure if that, like if I did it right. Well, first of all, there's no, there's no wrong. Um, second, I would say that that was a perfect application of it. 
Um, maybe we could say the only way to do it to do it wrong would be that if it didn't test well and it caused you pain and you did it anyway, like uh, at that point, I would sort of just be like, all right, well, I don't know why you're even bothering to test. If you're just going to ignore your body's feedback, then you might as well just not test and do whatever you're going to do anyway. Yeah. Uh, but I really like that approach. And it's a perfect example of how the body is always changing and how you can use a, okay, let's take a slight detour. I'm sure you're familiar with corrective exercise, like the concept and the term, maybe the listeners are familiar with it. Corrective exercise to me is an absolutely ridiculous term. I don't think that there is any such thing as corrective exercise. There are things that make you better and things that make you worse. Okay. So that behind the neck press in this case, because it tested well, and because it made you better, it was a corrective exercise. You know, did you do it at corrective exercise weights? Probably not. It sounds like you did it at your appropriate working weights once you actually like got up to it. And in doing so, you change something about your body, whether it, you know, we want to call it warming up or whatever. It, it doesn't matter. You made bench be possible by doing that, right? And then you were able to bench. And it could have been that bench was still a no-go and it still hurt after the behind the neck presses. Um, that's perfect. You know, like another thing you could have done just, just to kind of give you some ideas is like, okay, I really want to bench, but straight bar bench isn't working. Well, oh. you still have a lot of other options. You have wide grip bench, you have close grip bench, you have neutral grip with dumbbells, you have a normal grip with dumbbells, but it's, you know, like not being locked into a barbell that can change it. Yeah. Um, I don't know how many specialty bars you have, but you might have uh, like neutral grip specialty bars or uh, uh, like the diagonal grip specialty bars. I mean, there's all kinds of things that you can right. still do something that's very similar to a bench and, you know, recruits 90%, but in a slightly different way. So no, I, I love that approach. And that's exactly what um, I think over the long term will increase your progress and reduce your injuries because that's the situation where a lot of people who don't have a method to check in to that feedback say, oh, my shoulder kind of hurt. And then they push forward anyway. And then their bicep tendon blows off, you know, their, their pack and they're, you know, injured for six months and never going to be put back the same. So no, I love that. Man. Right. Thanks. Yeah. We got a couple specialty bars. I was using the, the bamboo bar. Have you ever used a bamboo bar? <laughs> yeah. They're pretty wild. They're awesome. Aren't they? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I certainly don't have as many as you do though. I've seen pictures of your gym and uh, like with, with the brick wall and everything. Oh man. It's just like your, your gym looks beautiful. I really want to get a workout in there, but the, your whole rack. Oh of man. Well, you, you're a little uh, late. We actually moved out of that space in October of last, last year. Yeah. I was looking at your website and I was like, what? They're closed until further notice. What happened? Yeah. It's uh it's kind of a hiatus. Um, I definitely want to reopen the gym, but, um, I want to reopen it in a, in a slightly different format, which is kind of what I did. Um, when COVID happened, uh, COVID just made it like untenable that the state closed us down for several months. And, um, I just kind of saw the writing on the wall. Um, but what I did when I reopened was I basically made the gym into a co-op. Um, I didn't have any staff trainers anymore and I didn't like charge anything for training. I just provided the space and I provided the programming and, uh, people utilized it, um, both the space and the programming. And, um, it was really awesome. And that's, 
going forward, kind of the contribution that I want to make to fitness and how I want to be involved. Um, I personally don't want to make fitness like a career anymore. Um, there's some, a bunch of reasons for that, but the, the kind of the fundamental for it is like, I feel like I've made my contribution to fitness. Like I, I feel like I don't really have anything new to say. Um, like the, like biofeedback, I didn't invent it. I just kind of, uh, learned it from one of my mentors or two of my mentors. And then I taught other people and I made it, I probably have taught the most people of anyone at this point. Um, but I don't have anything new to say about it. And, and this maybe is something you found once you understand how to listen to your own body's, uh, feedback with, with biofeedback, you need a lot less information coming in because you have all of the tools to kind of like filter and, and make choices. Um, and it makes a lot of the stuff out there kind of useless to be honest. So I don't feel like I have like tons of contributions to make. And I personally don't like the, the model that we have to use in fitness for charging our clients. Um, I think that to be honest, it's kind of broken and I'll, I'll give you a really short kind of version of how I see this. I think that what our clients should pay us for is our expertise and the majority of it is upfront. Like basically our clients first program, they should pay us a thousand or $2,000 for it because that's the one where we're taking all of our knowledge and all of our expertise and all of our experience, figuring out what's going to be the best applied to them and then giving it to them. And then they need to work on it for three to six or more months. And really they don't need us, but it's nobody wants after to that. do You're that. Right. You're absolutely right. right. You're good after that. But because nobody wants to spend a thousand or two thousand dollars up front like that, and they think they need the ongoing coaching, we charge them a hundred bucks or a couple hundred bucks per session for you know uh, this ongoing basis so that we can get that much money from them. And I just I hated it. I hated it when I was doing it. And the closer I got to kind of getting away from it, the happier I was. I, I just don't like how it works. Like I love coaching people. Um, admittedly, I don't love coaching people that need to be pushed, like that need someone to nudge them along and convince them to work out. If you don't want to work out, I don't, I don't give a it's shit. Exhausting. Don't work. Out. <laughs> I, yeah. I'm not, that's fine. Leave. Like I don't, or don't come. Like I don't care. But the people that are excited about learning, the excited, they're excited about their progress. They want to learn more about themselves. They want that feedback and expertise and say, hey, you've been doing this a long time. What do you think? And then I'll say, well, what I think is this, now go test it. I love that stuff. Um, but the economic model just doesn't really work. Um, and I didn't want to scratch and claw and try to try to make something that didn't work, work for me anymore. And listen, I... I there's tons of people out there that do make it work and I commend them. But I think that if I could flip a switch and we could have clients pay upfront for that expertise and then go work their butt off for six months and, you know, like do all of the sessions and then come back and say, okay, this is what I learned in the past six months. How do we tweak it and adjust it? I think we'd all be better off, but that's, probably not going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, what, what you just, what you described with the, 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 th the three month program, the six months program, that is exactly our business model, what Taylor and I do. And I completely 
see what you're saying on that versus um, versus versus the other business model and um, what what Taylor and I do because we do that full time and what and what what Taylor and I do as far as coaching goes like it is so much work and I've and I've told people that ask them like I do I would not wish what I do on my worst enemy but (laughs) it's perfect and it's flat out what I was meant to do (laughs) that's awesome man yeah yeah all right so so to summarize my contribution that I want to make in the future is to give people a place for community of like-minded I just the people that you know gyms sort of survive on the people that don't show up and that sucks that's that's not something I want to be a part of like your average like planet fitness has a thousand members most of which never show up and like 10 people are there every day um I want to give people a place to build that community of like-minded people genuinely interested in training. And I want to cut the overhead to the absolute bottom so that that's possible. And it is possible because I, I did it after COVID when you don't have staff salaries to pay and you're just paying like the rent and electricity and keeping the place clean, the membership rate can be super affordable. I basically had like 30 people, after COVID, I had about 30 people paying about 60 bucks a month and they had the entire gym to themselves. Wow. You know, it, it's, it's amazing, but I wasn't taking a salary. There were no trainers taking a salary. Like you have to change the model for that to work. Uh, but it's really cool and it's a cool community. So as soon as I can find a building to put that in, um, probably a building that I'm going to buy just so that I own it. Uh, that's, that's how I'm going to reopen the movement. Okay. So I'm going to make a note to edit this out, but I don't believe anything happens by accident. And I think that somebody had a more important reason for us having this conversation than just deadlifting. Um, So what you're describing as far as the direction you want to take the movement is really similar to what Taylor and I are planning on doing and what we've already started doing with Skull Bells Gym. Skull Bells Gym is going to be an old school classic bodybuilding gym. And it's going to be the, the old school eighties workout experience. Like you go into a fifties diner, they have a jukebox, they have like, everything is fifties, right? So you go into this gym and everything is eighties. It's eighties, hard rock. We'll have a vinyl. We already have the vinyl record player. We're building up our tape collection, our vinyl collection, everything to make it the whole, literally the whole experience. We already got all the tanning stuff. And so it's going to be a tanning booth and everything. That's badass. Yeah. And I don't know if it's possible to go into business together, but at least it's worth talking about at some point later on. So, Hey man, I can tell you from experience, this model works. And I think if you have a successful online presence and that can be what pays your bills and pays your salary, the gym overhead can be super, super low. If you, if you don't need to pay uh, staff, you know? Yeah. Um, and you can, you can have trainers and just have them pay a little bit of rent and have them do their own thing. Just, you know, stay out of it personally is is what I think. Um, yeah, it, it definitely works. I, I kind of called it a collective or a cooperative. Um, and it, it really works. How long are you going to be in Miami? Uh, three more weeks and then, uh, we're going to be, yeah, basically three more weeks. Darn, because I don't have any reason to go to Minneapolis if that's where you're going back to. But okay. yeah, 
Yeah, I mean, I got a, a client, our, um, our, like I said, our supplement suppliers down there. There's a lot of things we, Danny Miami, it'd be cool to see him. Like, it'd be fun to make a trip out there and just kind of talk business. And, uh, um, well, you can kick it down a little bit. I'll probably be back here in the fall more than yeah. likely. Okay. Yep. Well, uh, we'll be talking more about that if that's okay with you. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Awesome. Uh, we're coming out with our second edition of the, uh, bodybuilding log books too. So when I go back and edit this podcast, I'm going to take like, I don't know, whatever was, it'll be hard to sort through everything, but like one of the coolest quotes you said and stick another one in there for, for the second edition. Cool. Awesome. <laughs> yeah. We have people that are finishing the whole book and then it's like, they just buy the same one again. I'm like, oh, that's kind of dumb because then they're just seeing all the same quotes over and over again. So we got to, so want to do a second edition one and then want to do a third edition and the third edition. I want to, I want it to be like a discipleship edition, like a little devotional, like it'll all be like, um, Bible passages and stuff and stuff like that. that. That'll definitely take a bit more thought and effort to do that. But cool, man. <laughs> yeah, appreciate it. Uh, okay, another question on the Jefferson deadlift. If you don't mind circling back to that one with for the next yeah. the next ten minutes that we have. Yeah, my son's getting home from school, so I got to go grab him off the bus. But uh, okay, no problem. So on the Jefferson deadlift, you said there's a whole bunch of different ways you can do that, and I've certainly found that to be the case. Um, it's, it seems like there's, you can do it almost like a conventional deadlift to where like you're, if anybody's listening and doesn't like this, I'm sorry, but yes, I do round my back sometimes when I deadlift, right? <laughs> so like you can, you can, you can almost do it like a conventional lift. Um, and, sure. then, and then it seems like you can focus on uh, like quad isolation and make it more of a squat and have your, and use painfully strict form with your back, like completely perfectly arched and safe. Um, and you're using, and, but that makes you have to use like a third of the amount of weight. Um, and mm -hmm. for me having long femurs, like I can't even do it flat footed either. I can do it like the conventional way flat footed, but if I'm going all the way down until like, you know, like ass to grass, like a squat, um, my, my heels have to come up because that's just how my uh, bones are, are built. I'm wondering if you prefer one or the other or, uh, teach one or the other or if it's just kind of like whatever you're trying to accomplish you probably know what my answer is going to be whatever tests the best yeah okay yeah, yeah. <laughs> either one could be good either one could be better than the other um you know it just depends on what test best and of course it, it depends on your goals if you want to like smash your quads you're going to do it in a in a way such that the leverage is it's much more on that yeah. um you know, it, it really just depends on your goals and then what tests the best. Mm -hmm. Do you like There's to do no a wrong answer? Do you like to do them barefoot or with like deadlift slippers or deadlift shoes? I, I, my favorite training shoes, they don't even make them anymore. It's the Reebok, uh, CrossFit light TR. They're basically the ones that Mark Bell designed with Reebok and then they discontinued them. Um, but they're basically just like a really flat, really wide toe box shoe. So it's kind of like a almost like a converse all-star but with a w much wider toe box um and those are my favorite shoes um for everything other than squatting i i like to squat in squat shoes right okay do you ever get emotionally hung up on the goal that you want to hit going into that workout and then you biofeedback test and you're like it's not the day for conventional deadlifts it's my last week of the program gosh darn it I was supposed to get a PR today, but my body's just telling me it's not the day. Do you ever have days where you just say, 
screw it. I'm doing it anyway, just because mentally I want that dopamine release and I want that win for the day. Like, is there any value in that? Or do you really just restrain yourself and go, you know what? Not today, maybe next week. You know, I don't. The only situation where I would, I would do that, or I would suggest that someone that that would be a good thing to do would be if you're competing. I think that if you're on the, on the competitive platform, then that's the time where it doesn't matter if it tests well, now you gotta, you gotta perform. Right. Um, you know, and that, that gets into a discussion about use stress and distress and, and, um, to, to make this super brief, like, let's say we're training somebody who, um, whose job depends on their physical capability. Like, I don't know, a firefighter, right. If you train with biofeedback and you train with things that test well and yada, 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 that's awesome. But there's going to come a time when you just have to perform. It doesn't matter if it tests well to carry the fire hose up the stairs. Like you need to carry the fire hose up the stairs when the building is on fire. Um, I kind of look at competition as a distress situation where it doesn't matter if it tests well, you just need to do it. Uh, With that being said, a training session is not a distress session unless that's like your goal for the session is to train distress. So I don't really get hung up on like, yeah, this is what I needed to do. It's my last week of my program. I need to do it because I can come back and do it next week. You know, it doesn't matter again, unless there's a competition coming up. Um, And even if there is a competition coming up, but I had like a target weight I wanted to hit before the competition, in my opinion, the risk isn't worth it to, to push it and go for it anyway, because if I do tweak my back, I'm definitely not going to succeed in that comp, right? So I would just take the signal, say, nope, today's not the day. If there's a way that I can kind of change my program so that I can peak, you know, wherever I need to before the comp, I would do that. But um, nine times out of 10, I would not push it. I would just you know, go forward and then, uh, live to fight another day because like I I've had injuries. It's, it's not fun. It takes you out of the game. It's kind of a, it's a little bit of a tortoise versus the hare type thing, right? Like right. you can sprint out ahead, but as soon as you, you know, pull your hamstring sprinting, like you're going to be walking and then the tortoise is going to pass. How did you know that was my last injury? It was her fault too. This dog sleeping right next to my feet right now. She pushed me and I got caught up in the heat of the moment. And yep, there it went. <laughs> <laughs> Great comment. Yeah. Um, man, suitcase deadlifts. Those, those are those are ones I did last week. Those are super fun. Do you ever mess with those anymore? Yeah, for sure. Those are great, especially a suitcase deadlift into a carry and then back to a, a deadlift. Yeah, funny. Mm-hmm. Um, That's that's another one that also lends itself very well to uh, different weights, right? Like uh, asymmetrical weights. Back when I used to do stand up, I had a, um, one, one of my jokes was, yeah, I was teaching the suitcase deadlift to my ex-girlfriend and I had to stop because she had too much baggage. <laughs> <laughs> Terrible. Yeah. Those, uh, that and the single arm ones too, they seem to be more, more, more of a back exercise, which is awesome. And it's, and it's funny. Isn't yep. it? It, it, it develops your back like better than rows and chin-ups and anything else. And, it, and it's isometric. You're not even working it through its full range of motion. Yeah. Cool. All right. Well, I think that's about all we have time for, sir. My son is just about to get home. Um, appreciate your time so much. Thanks for that. Uh, li- listeners, you can 
you got to get this book. It's called Off the Floor, A Manual for Deadlift Domination. It's got a badass cover on it. That's actually the reason why I bought it <laughs> was because I was like, that look, that looks super cool. It was good marketing, sir. <laughs> um, Thanks, man. Yeah, where, where can where can people find find out more about you and and what you're up to right now, sir? Uh, I'm. I, I don't really have anything to promote. Um, you know, I, I'm findable. If you want to find me online, I'm on uh, Twitter, Instagram, and, and, uh, the Google. So. Sounds good. Yeah. Well, moral of the story is get the book, read the book. And if you, Hey, if you want an audio book on it, you let me know and I'll record the audio book. <laughs> All right. Sounds good. Hey everyone. Thanks so much for joining us on this interview with David Delanave. Do someone a favor. Think of somebody that deadlifts with a rounded back. Send them this episode. <laughs> we do have a new podcast episode every Saturday morning. We've been going strong for well over the last year. Whenever we miss a week, we do two the next week just to make sure that we stay on track with every single week, at least on average, having one new episode. And that's our commitment to you guys as listeners. So thank you very much for the support. Every rating, every review really helps us spread this message organically. Thank you so much for your support. Love you a lot. God bless. Bye-bye.